Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in, listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. All right, stand with me. Hold your Bibles up high, your iPhones, your iPads. Welcome all of you watching online. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, y'all are rowdy bunch today. You might need to stay for the 11. Sometimes they're a little deadhead. But don't you tell them I said that. I get in trouble. Well, it is the Christmas season, and every year, as I've stated, it's always a challenge to, to try and create a sermon series that, that really is kind of unique to the year, maybe what God is saying in 2019. And uh, this year, uh, we kind of presented this gift of love, gift of grace, and gift of mercy. Uh, probably three things that, that we all need most. Everyone wants to be loved. And there are people who act like they don't want to be because they don't feel loved. And they're afraid if they tell somebody they need to be loved that it will make them uh, feel needy. And the fact is, we're all needy if that's the case because we all need to be loved. Uh, there's something about love that transforms how we feel, how we think, and even how we behave. Uh, grace, the same way. Uh, if you would, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and then uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, one person writes, the law is not a way of life. Uh, Peter, it is uh, a way of death. Peter said the law kills us that the gospel might raise up uh, us up again. A Christian is not someone who's trying to obey an outward law. A Christian is one who has the living Christ within. By faith, I am united to Christ forever. When he died, I died. When he arose, I arose with him. He lives out his life through me as I walk by faith. This is the Christian life. It is not a set of rules and regulations to go back to the law is to frustrate the grace of God. If the law is God's way of salvation, then Christ died in vain. I had determined this series sometime in November in this past. People who don't get a lot of responses, and they ask a provocative question, and they start a, a Facebook war. And the question was, can a Christian fall out of grace? And, you know, it's, it's a historically a very good religious question, highlight religious. Uh, you cannot fall out of grace because it's like falling out of love. God is love. God is grace. Uh, I believe you could turn your back on God. I believe you can deny God, whatever you want to do, but you cannot fall out of grace. Now, there are people who think their behavior has been so extremely poor and bad that the grace of God has been removed from them. It's been my experience that when we are at our worst, God presents himself at his best. Uh, it's not when we're good that God is good. 
The Bible says when we're faithless, he's still faithful. And so oftentimes we measure God's response to us uh, based on our behavior instead of God's response to us based on his behavior. Grace will forever be the great battle uh, amongst Christians because a lot of people believe that when we talk about grace, that grace is an endorsement of any kind of behavior we choose. It's not an endorsement. However, grace never leaves. Uh, Just like love never leaves. Because God is love. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God, by the same token, is grace. He is grace. He doesn't just extend grace. He is grace in every way. Grace simply means the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in life is one definition. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, it says, And God is able to make, listen to this, all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in me. So by all grace, and means grace in this case is empowering us to be who God's called us to be and to do what God's called us to do. The real challenge with grace is that most people are more aware, and this is not necessarily a bad thing to be aware of our lives and behavior and things of that nature, but most people are more aware of our behavior than the work of the cross. And as a result of that, we receive salvation. Now, please don't miss this. We receive salvation, but somehow we don't connect salvation and grace together once we get saved. So I need to be saved. I want to be saved. I accept the salvation that comes through Christ. And and I see that as eternal. To me, grace is uh, extended to us in the temporal that carries us to the eternal. In other words, grace is not just something that, that happens in a moment. It's something that happens every second of every day through our lives and in our lives. And so... God is wanting us to see that grace is the avenue to salvation. Once you get saved, the grace continues to operate. Now, you can't give what you don't have. So if you don't embrace grace, you will never give grace. And so many religious people who endeavor to live a very good life, which we all want to do, but the appraisal of themselves or their appraisal of themselves is how good they are how good they behave how good uh they are in in serving the church and god and the reality is that's not grace at all that's works And that our works don't achieve for us righteousness our works don't achieve for us salvation Our works don't get God's grace. God's grace helps us to work. And it's a very challenging thing because we make mistakes every day. And some of those mistakes we have a hard time getting over. Maybe some minor mistake. You honked at somebody with a mosaic sticker. And, and that's, that's about an hour to get over, you know, because then you're wondering who was in the car and if they'll recognize you. And 
you miss church for three weeks for fear that sometimes we make a little bigger mistake and, and it takes a month to get over that. Many people uh, that throughout my history as a pastor, I, I've, I've talked to many people who I run into at some point, somewhere, and, and they, they're very apologetic. I haven't been to church and, of course, I had 10,000 people. I couldn't tell you who had been to church and who hadn't, but you're not so lucky. I look at your faces every week. I'll spot you anywhere in a crowd. So you better run if you see me because I'll come and give you some love and grace. It'll make you feel even worse. You know what I'm saying? When you're loved and you don't feel like you deserve it, doesn't it irritate you? Don't, don't love me. I don't deserve it right now. Well, I'm just going to love the hell out of you then. You know, and just right out of you. We're just going to love it out of you and heaven's going to come in. And Merry Christmas. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. In other words, freely given. Now, once again, this, I love preaching this message, but I also have to be very careful to clarify again Grace is not God's endorsement of our wrong. It's his acceptance of our wrong, knowing that we will be wrong, and he extends grace. Now, quite frankly, the things that we do wrong hurt us. And some people say, I don't want to hurt God. You know, I don't want to let God down. You can't let God down because you're not holding God up. So we have to realize that God's grace is extended to us regardless. Now, Galatians 2.21 says, I do not nullify, and in the Greek, frustrate the grace of God, for it is justification. If justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And this is where we have to be careful as Christians and throughout our journey uh, with the Lord is we do get on these good runs where we're really being good and things are good and I'm making good decisions and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And then we make a mistake and somewhere along that journey of doing good, we lost sight of his grace. Now, I'm not suggesting that you be stupid every day just to go, thank God for grace. But that's what happens. Every day, God extends his grace to us. So Galatians 3.24 says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. <clears throat> the law was given to help us see our need for grace and our need for Christ. That's why the law was given. The law was not given to us to live by. It was given to us to point us to Christ and to recognize our need for him. Now, some people choose to live by the law instead of the, using the law as a tutor and, and to get us to that place where we recognize that he is our master, he is our teacher, and that we need him. So, the law was instituted to point out our wrong. The Holy Spirit was called and grace was called alongside to help us overcome wrong. The law reminded us of sin. Grace reminds us of the cross and our forgiveness. The law imprisons us to our fears, inadequacies, and insecurities, whereas grace opens the cell door and says, whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. Law drives us uh, into the fact that we are sinners. Grace leads us out of sin. 
Law judges, grace redeems. Law is our schoolmaster, grace comes from our master. So, what we have to recognize is that we must stay in the face of grace all the time. The idea of Mosaic Church, and the reason I'm doing this series, is to drive home the point again and again and again that our mission statement is to create a culture of love, grace, and mercy. Now, many people think that there is a period of payment when you do something wrong. Now, let's go back to the book of Jonah a minute. Yeah, we know where we're going here. Jonah had been commissioned by God and given this great assignment to go to the great city. He would end up being right. Now, Jonah had a good reason for not wanting to go to Nineveh, and he would end up being right. But just because you know what the outcome might be doesn't give you the authority to disobey God. Now, Jonah's going, I don't want to go to Nineveh because I know what's going to happen. They're going to repent. So he had faith that they would repent. But after they repented over a period of time, that they would turn once again back to their old ways and possibly destroy Israel. So Jonah, in his thinking is, yeah, God told me to go, and I know if I go, they'll do what God wants done. But in the end, I know how this turns out. So I'm going to disobey God for the good of Israel's long-term livelihood or life, and I'm not going to Nineveh. So we know the story. He gets on a ship going the other direction. How many of you know when you get on a ship going the other direction, God's going to be right there with you? I mean, God's not going to board another ship and go do it himself. He, He had called Jonah. Now, this is what I call grace because Jonah had directly disobeyed God. I mean, there wasn't even a, there wasn't even anything he could say. He's just going to say, I ain't doing it. So Jonah gets caught in a storm. You know the story. And everybody on the boat is afraid. And, and Jonah mans up and tells them it was him. They throw him overboard. He's swallowed by a great fish. Now, if you were in the two-year-old class today, it'd be a whale. And he was in the belly. And there'd be a nice little picture of him in there real clean. (laughs) After all, we don't want children to be exposed to all whale stomach acids. Can you imagine what he came out looking like? A porcelain toilet. I mean, there was acid all over this guy. And so he's in the belly of a great fish, and it finally spits him out on the beach, and God didn't say, well, I decided since you were going to run from How many times has that ever happened? God, we're like, okay, dodged a bullet, spit me out on the beach. God said, you're not going to go through a year restoration. (laughs) Get your booty to Nineveh. Now. And if you run again... I'm going to have an octopus eat you. And that ain't going to be pretty. It's not in the Bible, by the way. I just kind of added that. I didn't imply that it was in the Bible, so I didn't really add it. But anyway, so Jonah comes out, lands on the beach, and this time it only took a few days for him to go, I think I'm going to obey. He could have said, I'm not worthy. Why me? I can't go. I've I've disobeyed God. I've disobeyed a direct order. I cannot go. But he gets up and he goes, and guess what happens? Exactly what God wanted to happen. You see, sometimes we don't think that 
we're worthy. And can I just tell you, we're really not, except through Christ. And, and you don't get to do what you get to do because you're a star human being. We get to do what we get to do because of God's grace and God's call. It's real simple. Now, mankind will always try to determine whether you're worthy or you're good enough or you have made a few mistakes, not a lot. So I'm going to tell you, most of the people God used, they, were, they could attend Mosaic. You know what that makes you, don't you? On our membership list, it says, are you jacked up enough to attend and become a member of this church? Because if you don't realize that, you probably need to go somewhere else. I love being able to stand in the face of grace. I love face, being face-to-face with grace. Not because I want to do things my way, but because I want to do things God's way. And the only way I'm going to be empowered to do those things is through His grace. Not my giftedness, not my talents, not my skills, but through His grace. God actually knows what He's doing. When He called Peter to be a disciple, He knew He would cut off an ear. He knew that. When He called Judas, someone said, well, Jesus made a mistake. He picked 12 and one of them would betray Him. Jesus did it by design. It's messed up. I mean, they really were. I mean, they, they just deny him three times. They turn him in. They sell him out. They argue over who gets to sit next to him. These were like children. Jesus had children's church. His disciples were messed up. But his grace is greater than the mess. You know, I, I, I don't know about y'all, but I can wake up every day and think of things I wish I hadn't done. And some of them are 20 years old. You know, I, th- I can think back when Chris was 16 years old. And, you know, I, I was my oldest son. And uh, he got his license, which is scary. You know what I'm saying? When your kid's driving around and 4,000 pounds of metal and going 70 and the cars. And I, I mean, I, I just was freaked out. And, and so Chris is being the firstborn, you know, you... You, you just, I mean, there's nothing about parenting that's easy. I don't care. You know, there's nothing. But you, you think your kids are a reflection of you, and you want them to behave, not because you don't want them to get in trouble, but you want to look good. I'm a star parent. You know, that's, that's, what, I mean, that's what parents do. Come on, let's get real. They're just afraid their kids are going to say something they said at home, and, you know, and they do. And they embarrass you. Kids really are God's workmanship to keep parents humble. And, and I, I can think back of several times in Chris's life that I, I did things I regret to this day. And I remember them. And, and I, I have to call on God's grace because it wasn't evil intention. It was just dumb parenting. Not knowing what I was doing. And, and most of the time when we make mistakes... It's the result of maybe not knowing. Sometimes it's defiance. Sometimes it's fatigue. Matter of fact, many, if not most, mistakes are made in the midst of, of exhaustion. And, and you, you just let your guard down and you, and you just let go. And so, 
God's grace is there. Without that grace, we don't make it. Without that grace, we, we can't survive. We really can't. It's the reason a lot of people uh, go through deep depression is, is we, we lose sight of grace. One person said the opposite of life, and this will help you, and I know that some of you are going to go home and talk about these because your spouse will talk to you. <laughs> if, you if you have any of these, he or she is going to love me and you are going to hate me. It will be a house divided until God comes and says, love him. Me. Love me. <laughs> Number one, a loss of joy. You could tell someone's a legalist when they have no joy. How many of you have ever run into a staunch denominational person? I don't mean to be mean, but I'm just going to go ahead and get in trouble. It's Christmas. There ought to be ex extra grace. <laughs> I was talking to a guy one time, and, and, and uh, we was talking about Jesus. I hadn't been born again that long. I was just so excited to be saved. I didn't have any affiliations. I didn't know enough about the Bible to even be religious. You know, you have to know a little bit about the Bible to be religious. I didn't know enough to be religious. I was just going to heaven all of a sudden. And I was pretty stinking excited about it. You know what I'm saying? Now, religious people don't like it when you get excited about going to heaven. They want you to pay a price to get there, my friend. That means you've got to go through about 35 classes over the next 20 years, and you might just have a chance. That's religious people right there. Have you gone through our class? Do I have to do that to go to hell? Oh, yes, you do. I looked at him. I was saying, man, it's so good to be a Christian. I said, what are you? He said, I'm Baptist from the letter B to the letter T. And I thought, now I'd look at him and say, I'm so sorry. There will not be one Baptist in heaven, one Methodist in heaven, one Charismatic in heaven. There will only be believers in heaven. Now, you can go to any number of those churches and be a believer, but I'm going to tell you what, there may be more Baptists than there are Christians. <laughs> this is probably not going to fly that well on podcast, is it? I ain't mad at you. I just, I just what, I, what I want us to understand today is the day that you get married to a sign or the name on a sign is the day you're in trouble. I am so thankful that so many of the labels and the names have gone away and that we can talk now, we can love each other now. It's not what it used to be. It used to be it. We were the only, at least that's what the pastor told me. If you don't believe what we believe, you're going to hell. And he acted happy about it. I guess he thought there was going to be a housing issue in heaven and that the supply wouldn't meet the demand. And so we got to kick some people out. I'm not sure exactly how that worked. Secondly, a life of strife and pressure. Whenever you're living a life of strife and pressure, it tells me that you're, their legalism is an operation. Now, not even biblical legalism. There could just be traditional legalism where our family does it this way. This is how we do things. It's unchangeable. We go this way to work. We come home this way from work, and this is the way we do it. And if you do it any other way and your car breaks down, we're not coming to help you because you didn't come the right route home. Because this is the road our family takes. Because it, we know how, if, if you break down, we know where you are. If you get away from, we have GPS, we have Siri. We, I mean, we've got, we can almost inflate your tires from five miles away now. That'd be a device to invent right there. Which tire is it back there? iPhone. Gotcha, okay. It's aired up. 
Number three, an unhealthy consciousness of people. If all you ever do is look around and ask what people think of you or you even care what people think of you, you're a little bit narcissistic to think anybody is thinking of you. They're really not. They got their own issues. They got kids they got to put braces on, their car's broken down, and you think they're thinking about you. You're a legalist because you're performing so you can get people to like you and think you're all that in a bag of chips. I dare you to wear pajama bottoms and an ugly sweatshirt into Target. Don't do it at Walmart. You'll just look normal. Anyway, so... the cheapest entertainment in town I literally take pictures while look at that I didn't know those went together don't get mad at me I'm just having a good time if you're mad at me you're a legalist you're religious and you're a legalist I'm really exercising hope today that there will be tremendous grace for me at the end of this message. Jesse going, oh my, help him, Jesus. When Jesse does this, I know I've crossed the line. He's like, just a word, I live across the line. <laughs> I never cross it. I live over there. Number four, a failure to enjoy life, which is what I'm doing right now. And hopefully you are too, but I'm having a great time. And in the midst of it, we're actually learning something. You can go home with four points of knowing when I behave this way, I'm religious. Something you didn't know prior to today. Favor earned is not favor. So overcoming the grace complex, favor earned is not favor. Favor is given by God. It's a gift. Grace is a gift. Mercy is a gift. We have to realize it. Number two, in the face of grace, we can face others. How many of you know the hardest thing to do uh, when, you, when you're facing others is when you've said things about them and you've judged them and you've been overly aware of them? I, you know, sometimes ask yourself how much you talk about other people think about this, and how much you just talk about God, how much you talk about good things. Next time you can think about saying something bad about somebody, just say something good. And you'll throw up in your mouth the first time. But after that, you'll get used to it. You'll just go, I, I think I want to say something good about somebody. I want to extend grace. Because you reap what you sow. If you sow grace, you'll reap grace. You will say, well, I don't have any grace in my life. It's probably because you had not thrown any grace seed in anybody else. Well, that's not true. Well, I think it probably is. When I need grace, it's time for me to sow grace. You know, you guys have heard me talk a million times about these people on street corners. And, you know, a lot of people, I've, I've been in cars with numerous people passing, you know, stopping at stoplight. And, you know, it's a little uncomfortable sometimes. You think you're a little sorry. But, you know, you, you can't judge them because you don't know why they're there. You think you know. And it may be a series of really poor choices in their life. But even still, don't they deserve grace? I didn't say you have to give them anything. See, some of you are thinking, well, I'm not giving them a dime. I hear they have swimming pools and I don't even have one. How many times have you heard that? Yeah, they're going to go home to a swimming pool. That means they're smarter than you. They're making more money than you sitting on a stump somewhere out there on a corner. Maybe you ought to think about it. Go get a little vest. Start over. (laughs) 
Maybe not. <laughs> I know you have a mosaic sweatshirt on. That'll get me in trouble. <laughs> mosaic, working the corners. <laughs> we'll get mosaic buckets. Anyway, so... I hope it gets better at 11. I re- I'm really trying. Um, it's, it's so important that when we see people that are totally different than us, that are doing things in ways we would never do them, that we don't judge them. Because the measure you judge them, you will be judged. You know, I, I have a love-hate relationship with uh, where we are today and, and the next generation coming up. And, you know, there, there's just so many differences. You know, we wouldn't leave the house without ironing clothes. One of the first things I learned to do when I was a kid was iron clothes because we were not allowed to leave our house without iron clothes. Nowadays, kids are not allowed to leave the house without wrinkled clothes <laughs> and clothes that don't match. Have you noticed that? And, and, and of course, as a baby boomer, I, I you know it's just it's just a hard time overcoming that. I have. I, I mean, because I, you know, it's just it just doesn't work for me. But you know, it seems to work for them. And it, over a course of a lifetime, it probably saves them a year in life from ironing. Can you imagine that? Do the do the math. How many times a week you iron? And you know what I'm saying. And if you have like. Pillows from the top of your bed's bottom, you know, how many hours it takes, you know. Anyway, the differences that we have often restrict the grace that we give. We give grace to people who are like us, and that, that's similar to loving people who love us. There's, there's no, 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 that doesn't take any effort. So grace to me is really at its best when you extend to others something that you totally disagree with and, and that you, you really want to judge, but you decide, I'm not going to do that. Accept others, not because of what they do, but because of who they are. They're a child created by God. I know sometimes we don't want to admit that, but... That's the reason I love where the church world is today. Many of us growing up, we had what we called Sunday clothes. Remember those? Sunday clothes. God forbid that you wear them on Tuesday. They're Sunday clothes, and they have to last all year. And quite frankly, people were tired of seeing you in them by March. Sunday clothes. I mean, how many Sunday clothes can you have? But I like the fact that today people dress in all different ways. Every now and then, Jesse will wear a suit. I'm not sure why. I I meant to ask you at some point. You just wake up that morning and feel like a suit. No judgment. Great. Hey, wear one someday just to make you happy and make you not feel all alone. I'll have grace. He won't wear a suit for another year. 
It criticizes you, rejects you, judges you. That's the time not to fight back, but, but to speak blessing. When you speak blessing over someone who's cursed you, they don't know what to do. They didn't know what to do with Jesus. They thought they had him. They, they were pressing him to, to show himself as the son of God. They pressed him to the point where even Jesus said, I could call legions of angels. That, that's what they wanted. They wanted to see. They wanted to see a magic, if you will. That's what they would have called it. And Jesus said, I'm not going to let you, what you do to me change what I'm supposed to do for you. To me, it's grace. What you do to me doesn't change what I'm going to do for you. This Christmas, you don't give gifts so that others give you gifts back. I don't know how, how many of you feel pressured. I feel pressured every now and then. Every now and then, pastors get gifts, and, and, and you know, so, so you feel like, oh, I got to give them one back. I don't feel that anymore. I, every, I thank you. I give a gift every week. That's, that's a blessing. Thank you. I, may God be good to you all week. Um, maybe all year. 2020 is your year. But no, the, the fact is, when someone extends, gives you something, and, and you're appreciative, it, it, it's, but it's hard. I have to give myself grace. I'm, I have a hard time giving myself. I can give grace to you better than I give grace to me. What am I, what am I saying? Because I think I know better. That's arrogance. That's every bad thing. Because I think I should do better. I mean, I know, I expect you to be stupid, but I don't expect me to be stupid. That's really what it's saying. And so extending grace to yourself is where it really all begins. Realizing I've got to give grace to myself. I make mistakes. Give yourself grace, Mark. Give yourself grace. Give yourself grace. You're going to make mistakes. Give yourself grace. You'll be a happy person when you look and say, that was really dumb. Thank God for grace. And, and you know 20 people, that's legalism. If you're worried about what people are going to say about a mistake that you're endorsing, your, who cares? You're going to make them. And I mean, it doesn't mean that you, you wanna, you're happy about your mistake, that you're endorsing your mistake. It just simply means I'm not going to be controlled by my mistake. I'm not going to be controlled by something I did in the past. I have a future. And the future is greater than the past. Many people have quit and said, well, God can never use me now. Jonah didn't quit. He knew he had denied, uh, he had disobeyed God, denied his mandate. And, and Jonah thought, well, I made a big mistake. I've been in the belly of a whale or a great fish. I'm going to Nineveh. I'm going to get this job done. He gave himself grace. A lot of people would quit, say, I'm not worthy. And I can't do this. In the face of grace... We find ourselves tested, not tempted. God will never tempt you. God never tempts. That's the devil. He's the tempter. But God will test or allow tests to come. Because God wants us to grow. And how many of you know that when you go through a test, you find out what you know and what you don't know? You find out things about yourself that you were unsure of. And when you fail... You can look and say, you know what? When I take this test again, I'll pass it because I know the answer to that question. Sometimes our greatest failures make us greater people. If we'll allow it. If we won't beat ourselves up or beat ourselves down. Hal Lindsey put it this way. For me to fail to forgive and give grace to myself or anyone else who has offended me is to imply 
that I have a higher standard of forgiveness than God. Because whatever it is that has so hurt me that I can't forget it or forgive it, God already has. So when you can't forgive somebody or extend grace to somebody, you're in the wrong corner, on the wrong side, because God already has. And you can make all the excuses you want and give all the reasons you want to give for not giving grace that you want. None of those will fly in the face of God. None. Because God every day extends His grace to us. Now, you can address things that are going to benefit us. You can be kind. It doesn't mean that you don't uh, have a conversation that might correct your course or better direct you in the right direction. It just simply means in the midst of it, you're not going to be angry. You're not going to be judgmental. You're going to be kind. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the grace of God uh, that brings us to salvation. It's the goodness of God. And, and we so often are, are punitive and punishing by nature. We want people to hurt when we hurt. Let me tell you what happens. When you give grace to somebody who hurts and intensely hurts you, it will change them. If you hurt them back, it just fuels the fire. Somebody's got to put a stop to it. Grace puts a stop to it. Mankind disregarded God. There was hundreds of years of silence between the Old and New Testament where God was silent. And then God shows up in the New Testament again beginning to speak. God's demonstrating grace. Mankind could not do enough bad to keep God from being good. Think about it. Give people grace. I'll close with this story. In the Old Testament, when a king was killed or when he died and a new king was appointed, the family of the former king were all killed by the incoming king because he didn't want any resistance or retaliation or them to have any favor from people who liked the previous king. History bears this out. And so every king that would come in and take the place of another would just destroy all the family members to make sure there weren't any out there that were thought they were going to be heir to the throne. Well, David becomes king after Saul, and Saul is dead. And, and in, in, in the moment of, of Saul, when they find out Saul is dead, uh, a nursemaid took a little son of Jonathan named Mephibosheth and began to flee with him knowing that that the new king's coming in, but not knowing David's heart, uh, fled for fear that Mephibosheth would be killed. Well, as we know, Jonathan and David had an alliance, and, and uh, in the process of carrying Mephibosheth out, she dropped him, and his legs became crippled. He could no longer walk. And she fled to a place to hide Mephibosheth, as any good nurse maid would do. And uh, when David became king, he asked the question, is there anyone left in Saul's family that I could show favor to? David was so set on extending grace and showing grace and starting something new when it came to the kings of Israel that, that he said, I want you to find somebody. They found Mephibosheth in hiding in Lodibar. They find him. And David said, bring him to me. Well, can you imagine this crippled Mephibosheth with his nursemaid? She's bringing him to David. He's thinking, surely the king is going to kill me. 
But David said, I, even though you're your grandpa threw spears at me, even though he tried to kill me, even though he sought me out to destroy my life. I'm not going to respond to his anger. and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond with grace. I'm not responding anger for anger. Even though he tried to kill me, I'm not going to kill you. And he looked at Mephibosheth and he said, you will eat at the king's table the rest of your life. Not only that, I'm giving you all the land back that your grandfather and your father possess, it's all yours. And not only that, but I'm going to have all these people that are with you and your nursemaid, they're going to work the land. You're not going to have to lift a finger, and they're going to work it for you, and they're going to bring the profit to you. Can you imagine Mephibosheth going, but, 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 but this is not how it's always been. It's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and, and, and we, you're supposed to be killing me. David said, no, I'm going to take care of you the rest of your life. If Christianity would operate that way, there'd be more Christians. We've all been in places where we've had bad bosses, bad co-workers, bad teachers, bad instructors, bad neighbors. We've all been there. And the challenge is, is to not return evil for evil. To be nice to those who are not nice to you. Boy, can you just, I feel my flesh right now. My flesh is going, I don't want to do that. My mind's going, but they don't deserve that. This Christmas season, it's really strange. And I love it, I hate it. Because there's about 30 days where, you know, there are Grinches everywhere. And sometimes people begin to get nice during Christmas. They feel good about it. And it does feel good to be nice, but it doesn't really... I don't know how you can be nice in December, but be stupid January through November. It just makes no sense to me. Once you've tasted of this spirit, and you go, but, but this is great. It's benevolent. It's kind. It's patient. And then in January, you get all the credit card bills from December. And you become mean again. I challenge us to be people that love as God loves. To be people that extends grace the way God extends grace. I want to ask you to do something. Just ponder it. Just ponder it. Think of the person right now that you like least. Everybody's going, well, let me see. Think about one, two, three. No, I'm talking about number one. Think about that person. Because we all have them. We've got a list. Checking it twice. We know they've always been naughty and they've never been nice. (laughs) And just consider sending them a gift card. I'm not asking you to go face to face. I know that's too much. You might hit them in the mouth. I'm just saying, what would happen if you extend them grace and say, you know, just hoping you have a Merry Christmas. I'm not asking you to tell them you love them. That'll be next year's message. But what if we just decided to do something nice to somebody who hasn't been nice to us? I don't like my message right now. (laughs) 
Because I'm sitting here thinking, okay, Mark, which one's it going to be? You say, you, people you don't like? Heck yeah. And when I say this, some of you may not understand what I'm saying. I don't like being around them. I want them to go to heaven. I love them. But let's face it, there are people who just rub you the wrong way. And they do it by design, which even makes it worse. It's not even an accident. You're on their list when they wake up in the morning. Today, I'm going to make your life miserable. This is, look, I'm, I'm telling you, this is not grace light. This is like grace loaded. I could preach grace light, but I'm talking grace loaded, where you really, really dig deep in your heart and say, I'm going to extend grace to somebody or somebody's that I don't want to extend grace to. It's a challenge. Let's meet the challenge. Father, thank you that you looked at us and we were worse than anybody that we don't like. And yet you liked us and you loved us and you extended grace to us. May we do the same. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray a prayer for those of you who have not accepted Christ. And without Christ, everything I've said is impossible. Without understanding his grace, we will never experience his grace. We'll never give his grace. And we'll live our lives beating ourselves up because we're religious and legalistic about our own behavior. So pray this prayer with me, all of you watching online and those of you in here. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin and I declare today you are the Lord of my life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to do me a favor and text the word SAVED to 405-500-1310. 405-500-1310. Just text the word SAVED. Uh, it's an acknowledgement of Jesus' authority as Savior and His grace. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.